Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. As a church, IBCBI is, is uh, as, a, as, a, as a church, we're kind of a church that's always in a place of transition. When we first started here, we, we heard from other international church leaders. They said that, that truth will either break you as a people or it will become really an identifier for you. And it just depends on how you approach it. And so we embrace that to say, okay, we're always going to be sending people out. God's always going to be bringing us. And, and we want to equip the people that God has here, give them opportunities to do things maybe they haven't done before. It's a smaller uh, fellowship, so we're not in a place where we can hide, right? Some of us maybe are from uh, churches of thousands of people, and no one knows if you come or not. But uh, we know if you don't come, right? And it means something to us. And so uh, we're always receiving new people, and we're always sending people out. I believe even in March, we're going to be saying goodbye to some uh, people that have been really important to us. And so it's just uh, with with open arms that we continually receive people and continually send people. It's true of who we are as a church. And, and it's also true that we're kind of in a leadership, anticipating a leadership transition. But that's always been the case for us as well. When we started, um, we would talk about uh, Anthony and Mike and, and me. We'd be doing things together. And God brought Sam to us and took Anthony away. And God brought Derek. And then he took Mike away. And then he took Derek away. And he keeps sending people in even as he keeps... Uh, pulling out and similar to Acts chapter 13 God just says set apart for me these people I'm, I'm doing something different with them and so leadership transitions just as much a part of the rest of the transition that we have been having it's just been the case for us so uh, we're going to be looking at that over the next uh, few months but we don't want to be overwhelmed by us uh, overwhelmed by that so sometimes as we look at the task that is before us I can personally feel a little bit overwhelmed. I don't know if you ever are in that spot where you're just uh, out in JB, you're like, well, maybe going to a children's home, and then you realize, uh, first, a few days ago, I didn't know this children's home was here. Now I see there's a tremendous uh, need in this children's home, and immediately after that, you learn there are 100 children's homes like that that are around our city, and they all need that kind of support. Or you, uh, I was at the Pasar Karat downtown one night, and just saw someone that was set up and they were giving away uh, food to people. And so sometimes folks will ask me, are there any homeless people in JB? And I think, oh, there are plenty of homeless people in JB. But I had no idea what the need was. And then when I saw this line that was just stretched around the corner for people to get sandwiches and fruit, I thought, man, there's just such a, such a need that's here. And so it can be uh, overwhelming for me as I look at all of the places that need churches, as I see churches that need leaders because uh, probably half the churches I know don't have a pastor. Uh, I've, I've been and before and spoken in churches, and they'd say, oh, we haven't had a pastor in eight years. And I think, how are, you, how are you continuing to function without identifiable leaders? You don't need a full-time pastor, but you need a leader or leaders, really, that are in this church. But they'll say, well, we just kind of uh, shuffle along, and then God will send us people to preach, but we don't really have an actual leader. And so I, I leave, and I just feel overwhelmed in those situations there's so many great ministries that we can be involved in that uh i i part of my personality is i just think i i don't know which way to head first i, I don't know what to do and so i can be uh, a little bit overwhelmed in that and so this is one of the reasons i find this passage so helpful we're going to look at matthew 9 starting in verse 35 and going through the first uh few verses of 
chapter 10. So the heading in chapter 9 there is the harvest is plentiful, the laborers few. As Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction, uh, as Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, or, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So as we look at this passage, I want us to be able to see these, these three things as we go through today. The, the need is massive. The need before, before us is massive. Uh, our response really is about prayer initially, and then authority assumes a, a bit of preparation. That's kind of where we're going to go. Okay? Let's, let's pray first. Lord, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that you have placed us in a place of great need. Lord, it's true of a a million places. And we can stand here and think, well, there's not as much need here as there is maybe just a few hundred kilometers away or a few thousand miles away, or there's much greater need in some other uh, country. And there's, there are a lot of opportunities, but Lord, you have us here. And so the needs that are before us, we feel like you have some reason. You have us here for this time seeing these needs and these opportunities and so we pray that you would guide us we pray that these things would would uh grow in us a dependence on christ that day by day we would we would not be overwhelmed but we'd be reminded of the fact that we cannot do this on our own and so as we even as we look at this text today father i'm really clearly uh i'm keenly aware of the fact that i don't have much to share but I believe your word has authority. And so I pray that as you speak to us through your word, that you would change us. I pray you would save people. I pray you would uh, invigorate us for the, the, the work that's ahead. I pray that you would uh, keep me from error. And Lord, speak to our hearts and set us ablaze, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we'll just start with this confession. This is what we already know. The need is massive right in jesus time and in our time the need around us is massive every village that they went to was more people that needed to be taught more people that needed to be loved and encouraged and ministered to and it's the same way here right if you leave aeon and go to tesco guess what almost everyone that you see is lost and if you cross the street to giant almost everyone you see is lost and if you leave there and go to Maiden, almost everyone that you see in that place is lost and jesus had these he saw the crowds that were around him and and he had this compassion for them he had compassion on them because they were first harassed and uh, helpless a guy named craig blomberg and his commentary on matthew says this phrase really means something like uh torn and thrown down similar to way like uh, uh, a lion will catch its prey or some big cat will catch its prey then uh whip it around to break its neck and so there it is laying there defeated alive but unable to move it's torn and it's thrown down that's the way jesus was looking at these people 
whipped around, neck broken, lying defenseless, unable to provide for themselves. They were harassed and they were helpless. They were also like sheep without a shepherd. And it's interesting to me when we look at this, it says they were like sheep without a shepherd, but the question I ask myself is, were they actually without a shepherd? And I would say, well, yes and no. Yes and no. They were without a shepherd in the sense, or they were definitely with, they had shepherds in the sense that they had leaders, right? They had Herod and they had Pilate, they had scribes, they had Pharisees, they had Caesar. There was an incredible government structure and legal structure in the Hebrew life. They, they had shepherds all around them. There were lots of people that had claim on their lives. But in the same way, were any of those leaders doing the spiritual job that they were supposed to be doing in Israel at that time? And I would say, no, they were not. If we're here in Matthew chapter 9, just a few chapters before through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus consistently is saying, you have heard that it was said, and then he says, but I say to you, right? And he, and he shows how the, the people who were supposed to be leading them were leading them astray. They were taking the law, they were twisting it, they were making it actually easier to obey than it should have been. They were saying, oh, you know what, if you don't like her, you can divorce her, that's no big deal. Just, just break up with her and send her off. Give her a certificate and send her on her way. And Jesus said, no, but I say to you, this other thing. So they were definitely like sheep without a shepherd. And he looks on the people in these towns and he has compassion over them, right? I don't know if you've done many Bible studies, but they talk about this Greek word. It, it really is about the bowels, right? So like, in, so for them, instead of saying, oh, my, my heart was broken, they would, be, they would say something about their bowels, like their intestines and their kidneys, right? It really affected them down deep. But the, the picture for us in kind of our modern idea, Jesus was looking and he was heartbroken over those people. We, we really should have the same response for the people that surround us. I went to Chingye this week. You may go to, down to the Chingye parade. I just, I'm always heartbroken when I'm at Daipusim or when I'm at Chingye and I just see people packed tens and tens and tens of thousands of people just worshiping false gods, right? They're in the street and they have this statue just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They would go up 50 meters or 100 meters, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I, just, I finally asked the guy, what are they doing? And he said, oh, that gets the good, good luck comes out. Good luck comes out, right? People are popping off little uh, streamers and they're just receiving, receiving, receiving. And, right? I'm just heartbroken when I watch the people in that situation. Here's the thing. We might wonder who, who, we should, who we should help, right? The need's huge, so who are we supposed to help? I would point you two places. Luke chapter 10, if you want to turn there. Jesus looks at these crowd. He has compassion. He's heartbroken. And so we say, who exactly should we be helping? Luke chapter 10. I'm the, really, the story is starting in verse 25, and you know it, right? The parable of the Good Samaritan. But I only want to read the last two verses. So Luke 10, 36. I'm going to read 36 and 37. Where they, Because the, the base of this story is they say, okay, fine, but who's my neighbor? Jesus tells the story about the Good Samaritan. And then in verse 36, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And then uh, the answer comes back to Jesus, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. So who should we help? Who, we should help the person that needs help. That's who we should help. Here's another picture. This one's in Matthew chapter 25. 
Matthew chapter 25. Uh, and again, this is a picture of the final judgment. You might know where Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. That's a way church people talk about this sometimes. Matthew chapter 25. Again, it's 31 to 46, but I only want to read 45 and 46. Just that last two verses of this uh, story that he tells. So in verse 45 he says, Then... Then he will answer to them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it for the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So who should we help? We should help the one who needs help. Right? And who's that? When we're helping the helpless ones, we're actually, according to Matthew 25, helping Christ. It's just, right? That's sort of the picture of the Old Testament. When you, when you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord. And so we, we could look around us, we could just cry our eyes out, really exhausting ourselves physically and emotionally. We could pour out every bit of material wealth we have and are just rack our minds and go crazy trying to impact our community. And so that's why I think Jesus gives this clear indicator. It's not, I mean, the need's massive. We can see that. So this is why he gives us the very next part in, back in Matthew 9, 37 and 38. What's our response to all of this need? He says to his disciples in uh, 937, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Jesus looks around. He's moved by compassion and he sees tremendous opportunity. He sees tremendous opportunity. He says, oh, the harvest is plentiful. He doesn't look out and say the need is plentiful. But the need is obviously plentiful. But he says the, the harvest is there, and it's huge, and it's ready for harvesters. And so our response, and I think the response uh, today, should be the same to the need that's around us. When we see these massive needs, we don't just rush off and think, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. We stop and we pray earnestly and say, Lord, what would you have us do? We could even zoom in a bit just on our little church here. We could take our eyes off all of JB and we can just think about our church and the needs that are right here. Do we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed or do we allow ourselves to stop and earnestly pray? It's understandable that uh, if you were not here the last time that our family took an extended break, that when you heard that our family is leaving for an extended break, that you thought... What is going to happen? That's understandable. It really is understandable. But I think uh, people who are here the second half of 2015, not a lot of people that are lingering that long, but the people who are still here from that time could say, we did just fine while you were gone. We, we grew in a lot of ways. We were better off when you came back in lots of ways. And so we could allow ourselves to be overwhelmed or we could allow ourselves to be thrust in this position where we stop and earnestly pray. And it's probably true of lots of places in our lives. We can ask ourselves, really, uh, is this situation in my life today, is this situation in my church right now, is the situation in our community, is it somehow surprising to God? No, it's not surprising to God, right? He knows what's happening. He knows what's going to happen. He has all this stuff in his hand. And so if we believe that God is not surprised, the question is, should we then be worried? I don't think we should be worried. If God's not surprised about it, we should be worried, right? We, we use this example with our kids when we're on the plane, and the, right, you get this sort of, oh, well, and then, whoa, you have that just every once in a while when you really drop, you think, that, well, that's not, I mean, you're stick checking your own belt and stuff like that. 
Also, in that situation, look at the stewardess. If the stewardess has eyes like this, if she's going to sit down, then you, sh- okay, we have a right to be praying, really praying about this. But if, if you think, whoa, 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 and she's still handing people cups of coffee, you don't have anything to worry about. It's going to be okay, right? You're just going to be fine. And so we look to the person with this kind of experience. And so same thing about our lives. We feel overwhelmed. We feel uh, sort of out of place. We feel uh, uh, frightened or uh, any of those things about it. Should we be worried? We look to the Lord and see. Is he worried? If he's not worried, we'll probably be just fine. right? The, the task before us always looks huge until we stand it next to Christ. Or the problem always looks huge until we stand it next to Christ. And then we look and think, oh, I was really worried about that for some reason. But I believe he's got it taken care of. So we, we consider, we consider uh, this whole process of our lives. And, and I think about the disciples when they're feeding them the 5,000 plus. They have all these people, few loaves, few fish. And Jesus says, give them food. And that question is, is, is a good question. What is so little in the face of so much need? And Jesus just says, have the people sit down, right? And that's the, that's the thing that we're looking at here. So if there's 1.7 million people in JB, or as I like to think about it, if there are 6.5 million people in the greater Johor Bahru metroplex, right? I always put Singapore under JB in that situation. There's 6 million people in the greater JB metroplex, Right? What's what's our little church? What's my little life in the midst of so much need? Well, when Christ is the one multiplying what what is given to him, then I think it's going to be it's going to be pretty good, right? The Lord's given IBCBI. The Lord's given us individually what we need. And so from the time that we started the the church here, we've just been blown away by how God takes people and continues to move them along. I remember when Louisa was baptized. We, I had her in the water, and I was whispering in her ear, please don't kill me, because she's like this former soldier, and I just realized, man, if the training kicks in, she's just going to drag me down under the water like a crocodile in front of this whole church, and then it's just going to be over for me. And God's grown her and worked in her and worked in her. She's like, she's, she can say, I'm more comfortable in this spot, but if you need me today in that spot, then I'll step into that spot, right? That's I've been. We've just got years of people doing that kind of thing. I I can't do it. And we're saying, have you ever tried? Well, no, I've never have tried. Well, what if we just try and see how God wants to use you? So the the good news is you don't have to rely on your own ability. You don't have to rely on my ability. Anybody else's ability. We're we're relying on Christ. And so that gives us this last point. Authority assumes preparation. In uh, chapter 10, he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and affliction. And then uh, Matthew names out the apostles. Okay, if you don't mind, if you have a paper Bible, stick your finger in there and then flip over to Mark chapter 3. That way, if you want to flip back and forth, you can flip back and forth. So in Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 13, it says they went up on the mountain and he called to him those who he desired, those whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 and he also named them apostles that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Sound familiar, right? It's the same time. And then he says in verse 16, Mark says he appointed the 12 and then he lists out 
the 12 apostles, just like Matthew did. Not in the exact same order, but he lists them out. So the passage is basically the same, but Mark highlights something that I think is critical for us. It's in uh, verse 14. So in Mark 3.14, it says, He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He, he, he calls them with, with this dual purpose, so that you would be with me, and that I would be able to send you out to preach and to cast out demons and heal people and do those kind of things. The ministry that he first called them to was to be with him. That ministry required a relationship, right? They needed to be filled up and they needed to be prepared to minister in the name of Christ. I don't think that is a, a, a season that, happen, that happens has to take a long, long time, right? I, uh, I would meet people. I, I took a short-term trip to Haiti, I, th- I think a couple of times, and I would meet a pastor, and the pastor would be living with his girlfriend, and they would have all of these kids together, and you would say, why are you not married, right? The scripture says you shouldn't be living like that. And they would say, well, I can't afford to have a wedding. Can't afford to have a wedding, so we just live together, and we have all these kids, and we operate like a family, but we're not married because I can't afford to have a wedding. I said, why can you not afford to have a wedding? Well, we have to, I have to buy a certain kind of ring and I have to pay the pastor and we have to have a party for the whole town. And I think we're allowing the culture to dictate this thing that makes us disobedient to the scripture, right? God's calling you first be with him and then send him. So the relationship in being obedient to the scripture is more important than the sent out. The guy had a, a fine ministry, I guess, when he was out preaching, but his own life didn't measure up to what the scripture was telling he needed to be doing. So these disciples were to be filled and prepared. And I don't think it has to be a, a long, long time. I think the model, New Testament model is you're going and then you're coming and you're going and you're coming, right? So Jesus sends him out to minister and they come back and he sends them out to minister and they come back and he, they report back and he says, let me tell you this. And they go out again and they just keep, they just keep doing this kind of thing, being refilled and taught and prepared and, and sent back out. In Luke chapter 10, I'll, I'll read it so you can, you can turn if you want, but it's Luke chapter 10 in verse 17. We, we see this picture where he's sent out the 72. I'm in Mark 10, that's why. Luke 10. He sends out the 72, and then they come back and they're rejoicing. They're saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Like we, we're, we're ordering demons around and they're doing what we tell them to do because we're doing it in your name. And Jesus says, don't rejoice over that. Rejoice over the fact that you are in relationship with my Father. Verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It starts with a relationship, and then the ministry part, that just flows out of that, right? We, we, we tend to get excited about the miracles and all these things that God's using us to do, but I think who we are in Christ is more important. We, we should rejoice over the work, but we rejoice over this relationship a lot more than that. The, the point of our life is that we have life with Jesus. That's actually the thing that allows us to be heartbroken around, around the situation, or over the situation that's around us. Because we have this relationship. He's given us his heart. So then when I see people, I feel what he feels. And then he uses me to do something about that. So where do we go from here? 
I would say this. You don't worry if you're prepared. You worry whether or not you're connected to Jesus. God's going to give you what you need to serve him. He'll, he'll use you for his purposes. He'll use you for his glory through this process that causes people then to glorify his name. Right? If he can use me, then, wow, people would look and think, that he's so inarticulate. God can use him. Maybe God could use me, too. He can. You can count on that. We can come to faith in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for us. He paid for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day. If we, if we put our faith in him, we know that he is ours and we are his forever. And that, that connection changes everything about who we are. It changes everything. And so we, we become prepared as we stay connected to him. But sometimes we make too much about the work we're doing and we miss out on the fact that the relationship is, is really critical. Our, our maturity in Christ doesn't happen all at one time, just like our physical maturity doesn't happen all at one time. We mature day by day. We, we choose good things. We face temptation and we walk away from it. And we have the opportunity to do one thing and instead we do another thing and we just we grow day by day. And we uh, have our desire shaped, right? The things that we used to love, we find out we don't love them quite so much anymore. Our minds are transformed. The things that we used to think about, we don't think about. Our behavior's modified. I used to do this, and I really am not very tempted to do that anymore. And so as you go through that process, because it uh, happens to you, my, my kids don't love it when they, uh, we've been gone from the U.S. for a while, and we go back and they say, Oh, you're so tall, right? That's what they hear. Oh, you're so tall. Because uh, in some people's minds, Hudson would still be uh, four or ten or whatever, right? And so they, they used to see him every few years. And so when he comes, they're like, whoa, you're so tall. And they think, this is a, what I oh, I've looked like this for years, right? That's what he's thinking. What are you talking about? Not, I'm, not all that, I'm not all that tall. So sometimes we can't see the development that's happening in our own life. This is why the, I think the church is important. Because there are people that come around you then and say, I could see God using you in this way. And then you respond to that, right? You think, well, me? I don't think that God could use me in that way. <laughs> right? I, we, our church used to meet. There was an African-American church in our little town. And uh, a couple times a year, we would all go to their church on Sunday night. And then later on, they'd come to our church on Sunday night. And there's uh, their pastor was an old guy. He's an old guy. I can't remember how old. But uh, Reverend Dr. Haney, and he would just, we were sitting together one time. We had the service. We'd eat together afterward. And he said, have you ever thought about how God wants to use you in ministry? And I thought, that's crazy, right? You're ridiculous. But then when I had people that really knew me say, I'm going to be out of town this weekend. Would you teach my Sunday school class? I would say, okay, I'll, I'll do my best. I'll, I'll take it. Right? And then it was step by step by step by step. And you get to this place to think, man, Dr. Haney, he knew what he was talking about. I was the one who didn't know what, what was going on. So we listen around us for people. They, they will see things in us and, and they'll give us opportunities. And when they say, I could see you doing this, at least listen to what they have to say. Right? So uh, don't worry if you're prepared. Worry, worry whether or not you're connected to Jesus. Here's the, the next one. Seeing the need is, first of all, a call for us to pray. God is calling us, I think, individually and as a church to a place where we need to be really praying and de dependent. We can't, we can't I, I don't think, really feel our dependence while we're looking at the challenge that's before us. We'll feel overwhelmed when we have our focus on the challenge. Because we start to get our focus up onto Christ, the challenge will take on its proper 
perspective and we can uh, get our eyes off of earthly things and onto things that are in heaven above. Right? There, there are needs that need to be met. There are ministries that need to take place. But first, we start on our knees, right? This is kind of the, the understanding that we're getting through the experience in God study that some of us are going through. If we run ahead without understanding what God's doing around us, we waste our time and we end up wasting a lot of resources sometimes doing things that God intends other people to do. And so just let's get an idea. What's God want me to do? What's God want our church to do? Where is he at work? How does he want us to be part of that? And so prayer is not preparation for the work. Prayer is the work that we're called to do. When that we see the need, we're supposed to pray. God, what am I supposed to do? And then you're like Abby and you say, man, there's a real need for moms to have fellowship. And she says, I'm going to start this thing. Can I start this thing? Can we use the church? Of course, right? And you have tons of people that come at different times, right? I'm always blown away by how many people are here for Little Creations on Wednesday morning. So you see where God's at work and then you, you kind of meet him in that spot. Then the last thing is this. Obey what the Lord is showing you, right? We have so many things that are that are needing to be done. And so as you pray for our church, as you pray for the community, as you walk daily in relationship with Jesus, then take really seriously the things that he's showing you. Take it seriously. They're, they're, he doesn't give us understanding about weaknesses and needs and uh, issues just so we'll know about them. I think he helps us understand those things so that we can be involved in making a difference in those things things we abide in him he shows us what's going on so that we can be part of that so don't hesitate to be obedient to the thing that god's shown you i believe he has big plans for you as an individual i believe he has big plans for ibcbi i think he has big plans for jb i think god wants to turn our city upside down so we can believe together in our dependence on him our faith in him will then cause jesus to work through us right if we go back into Matthew 5, that our good deeds will shine before men and they will then give glory to the Father who's in heaven. And the end of that, people don't, they don't clap about us and they don't get excited about us. They don't say, what a great church. They say, man, the God that you serve has, has done something in my life, right? And right through us to him, he's the one who gets the glory. Let's pray together. Father, I believe that you are moving in our midst, and I believe that you have uh, spiritually gifted your people, that you're bringing together the body of Christ here to do the things that you want us to do. You're giving us the resources that we need, the abilities that we need, the spiritual gifts that we need, so that we can uh, grow up in one another, and Lord, together that we can grow up in Christ. And so we pray that as you speak to our hearts about needs and ministry opportunities in the future, I pray that you would help us to uh, see the needs and the opportunities and the challenges in light of who you are and not in light of who we are, because we are uh, weak and stumbling and uh, many of us still half blind on some days and we, we struggle with our own sin and our flesh and we have trouble laying aside things that easily entangle us. And so uh, I pray that you would help us not focus on ourselves, not focus on the challenge, but to focus on Christ. And then uh, like, like Israel beside the Red Sea, that you'd be able to just say to us, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Speak. And then Moses spoke and the water opened up and 
the people were rescued. And so we just pray that you would give us that kind of relationship, that we would hear your voice, we'd know exactly what you're saying to us, we would know exactly how we should obey, and that we would be people who obey. And I pray, Lord, for uh, people that are here that uh, maybe feel like there's a lack in their relationship, they're not connected with you the way that they should be. I pray today that they would they would refuse to leave this place until that relationship is restored where it should be. I pray you'd save people this morning. I pray that you would uh, help us in our uh, workplaces and our marriages. Lord, as we parent our kids, I pray that you would uh, allow us to be graceful. Lord, as we uh, serve uh, our neighbors and all these things, we pray that the name of Jesus, that the, the praise and the glory would resound to you and uh, not to us or our church or our own abilities or, Lord, our planning or any of those things. And so I thank you for it. Those who are gathered today, pray that you would be uh, blessing and using and moving in them. Uh, Lord, even as we just linger a bit in fellowship, I, I pray there are important conversations that need to happen, that you'd give us freedom to have those conversations this morning. And I pray that you would be uh, just opening our hearts to hear you. We want to obey. Lord, we want to obey. And so we pray that you would just speak clearly to us. Help us to be people who earnestly pray, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me just leave you with uh, this picture of Eric and Michelle. So Eric will be here, uh, arrives on Saturday, and then will be with us preaching on Sunday next week and then the following week. So he'll be here the 10th and the 17th. Unfortunately, Michelle and Kenza will not be here because of school in Rotterdam. However you say Rotterdam and sound like you know what you're talking about. But he will be here with us next week. So just keep praying for their family and praying for us as a church as we... Uh, get to know them better, and we really see how God's bringing together all these things uh, over the next few weeks. Same thing. If you would like that picture, I'd be happy to share that picture with you uh, as well. And so we we can just have that where we can just be thinking about and uh, praying for them as the as those days approach. So thank you so much for being here today. Please, if you don't have to rush off, don't rush off. We'll be around. We can fellowship for a while. And if you need anything from us, don't ever hesitate to ask, okay? God bless. Have a great week.